Hello and welcome to another episode of Fast Talk, your source for endurance sports science. I am your host, Trevor Connor. I am here with, can we still call you my new host, my new co-host, Rob Pickles? I think at one point I was the Sultan of Science. Nope, wait, that's a different podcast. Don't say that. (laughs) And I am actually very excited about this episode because we have on somebody... It was very near and dear to my heart, my coach back when I was at the National Center, Hushang Amiri, who is still up in British Columbia, still developing Canada's top athletes. So Hushang, excited to have you. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Trevor. It's a pleasure to be here and thank you for the invite. Yeah, no, I, I have been looking forward to this for a long time, so I'm glad you could join us. Thank you. The more you measure training data, the more important understanding it becomes. In our new advanced performance data analysis pathway, we move beyond the basics to explore more complex data analysis. We help you navigate complex techniques so you don't get lost in the numbers. This pathway features Tim Cusick, Dirk Friel, Armando Mastracci, Coach Dean Golich, Joe Dombrowski, Trevor Connor, Dr. Stephen Chung, and me, Ryan Kohler. We also explore advanced features of WKO, Training Peaks, Exert, and Intervals.ICU. We use the term deep dive a lot around here, but this is our deepest dive yet into performance data analysis. Follow our advanced performance data analysis pathway at fasttalklabs.com. So today we've got a few listener questions that we are going to address. So Rob, where would you like to start? Yeah, Trevor, our first question is coming from John Hintz from Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania. And he wrote a question asking about pacing for a Grand Fondo. His question is, greetings. I have a question from your discussion of Grand Fondos from episode 86, which, yes, is from October of 2019. I'm a relatively new listener to your podcast and I'm working my way through your back catalog now. So far, I'm extremely impressed, and thank you for the bottomless and thorough resources. Yeah, I just have one thing to say. Stop at episode 10. Don't, 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 don't go further back, please. <laughs> if you want to keep having a good impression of our show, don't go further back. There's the pro tip for you right there. Episode's over. John goes on to say, The listener who wrote in the question said he was riding a Grand Fondo and trying to train to do as well as he could, but not necessarily thinking of it as a race. Your answer was helpful. But one thing that wasn't addressed was whether his initial goal was even possible. He said he planned on riding the entire Fondo at 85 to 90% of his FTP. My question is, is 85 to 90% of FTP a reasonable goal for five hours of riding? I ask because I am a similar rider to the caller. My competitive rides are hilly Grand Fondos and gravel races where I'm mostly riding to see how well I can do personally. I'd like to figure out how to best pace these five to six hour rides, but I fear that if I head out and try to ride at a steady 85% of my FTP, my tank will be empty long before the ride is over. So I guess I'm asking for tips on pacing these long competitive rides as you have thoroughly covered how to train for them quite nicely in other episodes. Thanks so much. So Hushang, do you want to start this one out? Sure. I'm assuming he's talking about 85-90% of FTP power. Yes. Not necessarily heart rates. And I think in theory, it is possibility to do that. But really in reality, it's going to be really hard to get it done. 
just because it's more than one thing is involved. And uh, the management of the right, just having plan of nutrition and hydration, it can change the outcome of the right. Is focus, if it goes only on the power, many things can go wrong with it, in my opinion. So if you go with uh, FTP power, I'm going to say the heart rate is going to change from first hour to second, from second to third, and so on. And by end of the ride, is a possibility to have, and I believe it will be big cardiac drift in the heart rate, and he will be moving away from that 85, 90% of FTP power because you're going to keep the power same, but really response, body response is different. Simply, if he not drink enough, the heart rate is going to go up and that 85% maybe is easy on first hour, become really hard in fifth hour. Yeah, I was kind of hoping that you would go there because I agree. You know, starting with that 85% of FTP, We've talked a lot on the show about your your anaerobic threshold and your aerobic threshold. That 85% of FTP is around where a lot of people's aerobic threshold is. But as you pointed out, this is by power. And whenever we tell people to do those long rides at your aerobic threshold, we always recommend you got to do that by heart rate because that's the physiological response. And I agree with you 100% that if you're doing five, six hours by power at that 85% of FTP. You might be starting at or a little below your aerobic threshold, but by the end of the ride, you're, you're going to be going much harder than that, physiologically speaking. Yes, absolutely. You know, in past few years, I use heart rate for all endurance rides. And power comes when you go above your aerobic threshold, right? Is, uh, and paying attention to your body response is very important. You know, one thing we're going to make sure that he won't do this. Grand Fondo is a fun ride. It should not be treated as a race and forget about key elements that is a fun and enjoy the ride. And that means you're not going to just focus on the power and forget about everything else. You know, for example, getting on a proper group that matches his pace is important. This kind of work on proper pacing, getting in the front, probably going at 90% of FTP and coming back of the, that group he's in and resting and, uh, you know, enjoying the rides and going through the, the miles. I love that both of you went initially to these limitations, right? Hushang, you brought up eating enough, you brought up drinking enough, and because my mind always goes to limitations too, and Neither of you have mentioned 90% of FTP. That sounds like it's over the threshold of what a rider is going to be able to do for these hours. And that maybe 85% is possible if you get things right, like drinking, like taking in enough carbohydrate, because 85% is probably right at that threshold where, you know, if everything is perfect, it's possible. And if you do lose things, you get overheated, you go too hard on a couple hills, you don't drink or eat enough, that 85% is is going to be 60% of FTP really, really fast. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can tell you if I can't get an athlete into the lab to measure where their actual aerobic threshold or, or VT1 is, 
I'll use a calculation, but 85% is the very top end. I usually go with about 77, 78%. Yeah, it's a little little high. And we should bring up, you know, that aerobic threshold, that's considered kind of the highest point or, or highest effort you can go at that's considered sustainable, that you can do for hours and hours and hours on end. Once you start going above that, your body's paying a price and you might not be able to sustain that for four or five, six hours or it's going to really take it out of you. So I look at that 85% personally and even say that's that's going to be a struggle. 90%, unless you are a top, top level cyclist, I, I think you'd have a hard time doing a five, six hour event at that sort of intensity. But Hushang, what do you think? When I said in 90%, we are looking at the pace line. Like you may be in there for a minute or two, and then if you group of 10, it's going to take you under 10 to 15 minutes to get in the front. And that allows you to recover and uh, to get back on. But I am 100% with you here that even 85% is just pushing the limits for the duration of the ride. So in his question, John asked, if I head out and try to ride at a steady 85%, How does this change if we're, say, in hilly terrain or if somebody intentionally rides at, I don't know, 100% of threshold for a short time and then 60% at other times and it averages to 85? Is that more sustainable or is going out at 85% maybe a more likely scenario? That's, That's really good point because I would say when you're riding you're looking at the numbers, you're going to look at your 85%, 80%, not thinking, okay, if I go 100% and I go 50%, this kind of averages out to 80%. That doesn't work like that, right? Is as I said, again, it's going to change your fuel consumption and the rate of the carb your body's using, and that will be issue by itself. And I agree. I think you have to be really careful about looking at the the averages. You know, I can give you an example from my own experience where in the winter I'll go out and do easy, steady base mile rides and average like a 134, 135 heart rate. In the summers I'll go and hit every killer climb around Boulder and come back absolutely destroyed and have the same average heart rate. Right. So you can end up with the same averages and have very different rides, have very different experiences on your legs. And Hushang, as you said, if you're not fueling correctly, if you're doing these hard efforts where you're just absolutely depleting your glycogen, you might say, oh, my average heart rate looks about right. My average water looks about right, but you're, you're killing yourself. And by the, you, won't, you won't get through those six hours. Yeah. So Trevor, I mean, take you and I. I'm a washed up, never has been sprinter. You're more of a... a and you'd, you'd still out-sprint me by, uh, ex- by a lot. No, exactly, exactly, right? You and I, we have these innate sort of differences in our riding abilities. Do we both attack this Fondo in the same way, or do we each have different pacing techniques? That's a good question. Who's Shang? You have to prepare for it. If you're a sprinter or a time trial type rider, really not going to change too much of pacing because still you're dealing with same energy system and same fuel consumption. I will set everything based on mid-range of aerobic capacity, power, or heart rate, and go from there. I don't think, I truly believe what type of rider you are not going to play a big role in here because by end of it, you're not sprinting, you're just finishing this ride and enjoying it. 
Yeah, I was going to say, I think the biggest difference is if you and I were actually racing it, I'd wait for that 20, 30-minute climb near the end and try to drop you so you don't have the opportunity to, to sprint me. And I'd, I'd sit in behind that massive frame and draft that you provide, and uh, hopefully I'll kick you at the end. Gee, you know, thank you. <laughs> you know, it, it sounds like I think that we've got some great information here. You know, if I want to try to summarize it real quick, it seems like the technique for going out and doing this, the pacing strategy ought to be something that's relatively even. It shouldn't involve big spikes in power, big increases in effort, but that maybe 85% is the very, very upper limit of what you could expect with that relatively steady strategy. And that maybe something slightly below, you know, maybe 80-ish or 75% of FTP would be more likely. And the reason for that is just due to substrate utilization, making sure we're not burning through too many carbohydrates, not dehydrating ourselves, not driving our core temperature too high, all of those limitations that could otherwise uh, really decrease your uh, your pacing there. So I'll, I'll just share a story of a Graham Fondo I did a few years ago, and then we can move on to the next question. So Hushang, you'll find this kind of funny. It was a Grand Fondo up in Canada, and I was going for the fun of it. And we were 10 minutes into it. It was 160 kilometers and I went, oh, let's have some fun and attacked. Got away wait, with it. Wait, wait, wait. What kind of fun? This is a Trevor Connor type of fun. This is my kind of fun. So 10 minutes in, attacked, went away with a rider, looked down, was doing about 300, 310 watts. My threshold at the time was about 340, 350. And just went, okay, this is going to hurt. Let's see how long I can hold this. And actually ended up averaging pretty close to that for the whole Fondo. We were away for a long time, but I remember the people who were smart, some of the cat ones who were in the race, attacked later. They caught the two of us, and we hit this little 30, 40-second riser. And they hit a little hard. Not really hard, but just hit it a little harder. And I was out the back. Shot out the back. So fast. (laughs) I had absolutely nothing left except just this ability to grind it. So... Yeah, you, you, th- so that was basically, I was riding at that 90%. That's the quick math in my head says, yeah, about 90% of FTP for And you. I paid for it. I absolutely paid for it by the end. And I'm, you know, my strength is my ability to sustain for a long time. So I, I would not do that again. But the question was, was it fun? Oh, hell yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> and Hushang is my past coach. How much would you be shaking your head at me right now? I, you know, I just knowing you, that's, I'm not surprised you did that. <laughs> and always is pushing the limits. That's one of the qualities you had, Trevor. And uh, I, I think, you know, again, this brings important of nutrition because when you ride with that intensity, your energy consumption changes compared to 85%. And if you plan for 85% and you go with 90%, now you have to make sure. You simply make it simple. You're going to eat a little bit more, not running out of fuel. But even with that being said, we know the lighter production happens on any intensity. And that's going to accumulate over time. Yes, I did. And I'm not even going to tell you how I feel because then you'd, you'd truly just chastise me for it. So let's uh, move on to the next question. Yeah, we got a good one about juniors training too hard from John Blackrock. His question reads... I'm a 47-year-old master's rider who's been racing recreationally for over 20 years. I was very excited when my 15-year-old son decided to get into cycling and even more excited when he wanted to race. 
He's working with a juniors coach, but based on some of the things you've said on the show, I'm concerned about his training. He's doing a lot, and there's emphasis on a lot, of high-intensity interval work. The juniors train together as a group, and they're often doing intervals four times a week. They do very little long, slow volume work. I talked with the coach about it, and he feels this work is appropriate at their age. I brought up doing more slow volume type work, and he told me that's something you definitely don't want to do at that young an age. I'd like to take his word on this, but my son seems tired all the time, and worse, he seems to be losing his motivation to ride and race lately. What are your thoughts on this? Is he doing the right thing? And so I got to just say, we actually didn't get this question recently, but when we received this question, I did send my response, but I hung on to this one because Sushang, I know this is a question that's, that's near and dear to your heart, and it's one that I wanted to, to hear your answer to. Yes, uh, Trevor, I, I think that's it's pretty common. I see it most of the time, and uh, for all different reasons, juniors training harder than they're supposed to, or coaches doing that hard training, and sometimes has to do with race, proposed race calendar that the juniors has to do, and coaches have no choice regardless of their experience or junior coach. For example, having, we say, track nationals at in early in the season, in January, for example, right, is uh, the time they have to work on the base, not they're working on, on the speed. And in this particular athletes, I like really to know a little bit more. Like if I will ask, you know, to know athletes uh, a chronical age versus biological age, what is really development age? Not every 15 years old, they're the same 15 years old. And some of them can take the intensity. But again, as a coach, I need to know where I'm going, why I'm doing this. And as an athlete has to know that is, uh, again, if it's a preparing for important race, that maybe is adjustable in or is okay to do that. But other things I do not have if what is a recovery plan, like a four times intensity per week, it looks like a unit of nine days in the week. Because every time you do intensity, you have to recover, allow the body to adapt before you move on. Without it, the fatigue and on the recovery can occur and fatigue can accumulate. And over time, you're going to create uh, overtraining symptoms. And that should be very reasonable in performance. And as a matter of fact, is just loss of motivation is one of under recovery symptoms or getting into overtraining symptoms. Yeah, my guess is that's what's happening with this athlete. And just like you, I've seen this before. I remember seeing a, a juniors program where they uh, had the juniors training together twice a week in, in a studio together. This was through the winter and they were doing some really high intensity work. And I was looking at going, boy, that's, that's tough work in January. And then found out that there was two sessions of high intensity as a group and then all the athletes were doing another two high-intensity sessions on their own during the week. And that was in January. And, and I saw several of the, the athletes in this program ultimately just end up quitting. Yes, that is very common. And also, knowing with juniors, when they're training as a group, always the intensity gets to the roof. That competitive side of the things plays a big role. And even on my training sessions, especially why we're going to go, this is a pace, this is a speed. And as soon as I let them go, things change differently. They start racing. 
Yeah. You know, that, that's the nature of the things. And that brings with really education of the bike education. How much coaches really sit down with their athletes and explain the pacing idea. You know, just explaining what is reason behind what they want to do. And if they don't do it, that's the way it has to be done. What's the consequence of it? If the athletes didn't, don't know the consequence of changing the training intensity or volume on their own, can be leading to really overtraining area. Pathways from Fast Talk Laboratories are a new way to explore concepts, master skills, and solve training challenges. Our new cycling interval training pathway begins with the basics of interval workouts and progresses to more advanced details, how to flawlessly execute interval workouts, which intervals bring which adaptations, and how to analyze your interval workout performance. Over 21 articles, interviews, workshops, and workouts, our new cycling interval training pathway offers you the chance to master cycling's most critical and nuanced workout format. See this pathway at fasttalklabs.com. Rob, what are your thoughts here? Because I know you've worked in the, in the lab with a lot of juniors. Yeah, I've worked both in the lab with a lot of juniors and then also out in the field with uh, junior mountain bike and cyclocross teams. And, you know, I think that my thoughts are a little bit more broad where if you're talking ages in the, say, eight to early teens, I don't really believe in much structured training at all. To tell you the truth, riders should be out riding for fun. Any practice, any formal practice should be uh, more skill development than anything else. And if there's anything that even remotely comes close to an interval, it, it should be something fun like a relay race or something of that nature. You know, maybe you're weaving down between some trees on your cyclocross bike and then you're just riding, you know, hard back to the top of the hill. Nothing that's really structured. Around this 15-year-old age, though, I think that we can get into more structured interval training where you're running out a training plan in a training season as that athlete begins to develop into higher performance. At that point, though, in my experience, it's always been a training that's much more similar to what you would do with an adult in terms of the balance of base intensity and higher intensity work. I've actually gone back and I, I did look at some research on this, and there was a great study from Dr. Seiler who looked at 51 German cyclists that are about 17 years old. And to keep it really simple, essentially there were some responders and some non-responders in that group. And the responders had the training intensity distribution that is effective across all ages. And the non-responders were the ones that spent a significant amount of time in that three to six millimole in that threshold range. And so I think that that's some, some great objective data that supports a lot of what we're feeling as coaches on what's effective for these athletes when we're making an actual training program for them. And Hussein, that's very much in line with your long-term athlete development program. Yes, absolutely. As a matter of fact, through that long-term athlete development and some other workshop I had at World Cycling Center in Switzerland is what we did, we look at all the top cyclists for that few years that we were working on this. How many of them, they were world champion or really good juniors? Their outcome was very little. Only very few. Even you can't hardly count with one hand. None of the top cyclists, top performer, they are the ones that uh, they were really okay, good juniors. They were good juniors, but they were not world champion or win 
anything big. And what we find really pushing the athletes too early in early season, they're going to have a short athletic life. So some athletes, they're talented. Some, they have the gene that we have nothing to do with it. If they are pushing for world championship, just simply go back last 10 years, look at every world champion, junior world, world champion. Where are they right now? You can't find them. Yep. No, it's true. You see it all the time because, you know, I was very involved with the junior cyclocross program at the national and, and international competitive. And I oftentimes look back at these names that I remember from the world stage who were absolutely incredible as 17 and 18 year olds. And it's very rare to continue to see them being successful in the pro ranks. So let's move on to our next question. And, and thank you for that response. That was the response I, w- I was hoping for and why I saved that question for you, Hu Shang. Thank you. We have another interesting question here, Rob. Yeah, Nathan wrote in about anaerobic power to do one to two minute climbs. Here's his question. Hi guys, I've been getting back into competitive cycling over the last few years after taking some time off to start a family. I usually consider myself more of a rollier type rider due to my size, six foot four, 186 pounds. But I have found in the higher race categories that my lack of anaerobic power has been both a weakness and a limiter. On climbs under five minutes, I find myself getting spit out the back and having to burn a lot of energy to claw back into the group. I'm excited to use a more polarized training model considering I love nothing more than long four-hour rides and threshold intervals. But I'm curious about your thoughts on also using the base and build period to focus on my anaerobic energy systems as well. Maybe a Zwift race once a week, I would love to become more of a punchy racer, but have had a hard time finding gains in this short power duration energy system. Any hope or am I destined for the solo breakaway and gravel events? So Hushang, I'm actually very interested in hearing your answer on this one because I have a feeling you're going to say something that you taught me a long time ago and I have said probably multiple times on this show, but I'm not going to give it away. So so let's hear your response. First, I'm going to say, I truly believe the issue he's dealing with is has nothing to do with anaerobic energy system. Anaerobic energy system functions provides energy up to one minute. We say you can increase it to a little bit farther, but as soon as you hit the peak, you're going to downvote. And if you look at the characteristic of anaerobic energy system, is not what he's looking for. But answer relies on really ability to be more effective training aerobic system. And when we talk about aerobic system, we are looking at the capacity and as well as aerobic power or MAP, max aerobic power. There was many podcasts on your show, Trevor, that this has been discussed in details. And you know, basically looking at mitochondrial function, how important it is when you want to go hard. And that's mitochondrion development is happens in lower speed. We are talking about zone two. Yeah, definitely, this is not anaerobic system need to be targeted at all in here. That's exactly where I was hoping you were going. So the, the thing I've said on the show, as you pointed out in the past, is if you're sitting in the field and you're close to your threshold and then you hit that one-minute climb, I don't care how good an anaerobic system you have 
you're going to be fatigued and you're going to struggle getting over that climb. Conversely, if you have a great aerobic system and you're sitting in the field for an hour or two at a talking pace and then you hit a short climb, you're going to have a, a real good jump. You're, you're going to have that ability, even if you would say the anaerobic side isn't necessarily your, your strength. And there's, a, you know, to just give a little bit of a physiological explanation behind that, if you're going close to your, your threshold, you are recruiting a lot of those fast twitch muscle fibers and they fatigue quickly. So when you need to actually rely on them to get over that one, two minute climb, they're just not going to be there. They're already going to be tired. You're not going to have that short term power that you are going to have when you're fresh and right. doing the workout. If you're sitting in the field going easy and relying almost exclusively on the slow twitch muscle fibers, then... When you hit that climb, all those anaerobic fibers are going to say, yep, ready to go. I, I have not been used yet today. Yeah. Can we actually maybe look at this question from a different perspective? How much in your experience can we change the weaknesses that somebody has? Should we just acknowledge our strengths and, and choose events that play into them? Or you know, if somebody really wants to alter kind of their, their base physiology, are they able to do that to be successful in something that really they shouldn't be able to be? Hushang, any thoughts? The answer is yes to all of those, right? You have to know what type of rider you are and also what are the weaknesses. Always I tell my athletes, uh, train with your weaknesses, race with your strengths. So knowing what is missing or what need to improve is very important. That brings us back to benchmarking, getting proper testing done, and figuring out where our area need to be improved the most. In this case, definitely, I see aerobic system is not there. And also, looking at the athlete's profile, it looks like a very powerful athlete. He's going to have lots of potential doing really well on the flats and doing some damage to their pack he's on on the flats and based on his ability he can have different strategy going through those those climbs maybe getting away from the pack starting climb ahead of the time the pack and riding them his own pace and when he got caught he can go with them and by the time usually he's top of the climb but the answer to rob's question i would say yes to both of them yeah and i do think that you know, advice for Nathan, right, is play to your strengths when you're racing and also to define success. If you want to go out and be racing in these events, then great. That's your choice that you can do. Are you maybe going to be successful in something else? Certainly, if that means being on the podium, if that means placing as high as you can. But success in a race like this is maybe challenging yourself or whatever else. And if you are going to choose to do things, and because this is a larger rider and as Hu Shang said, his power numbers are great, but the fact that he's 186 pounds means he's not going to be as effective on a five-minute climb as possible. So what can you do with that racecraft? And, you know, Trevor, how, how do you feel about this, where uh, oftentimes I'll advise people, you know, you know a climb is coming up, get to the front of the field, try to control the pace of the pack a little bit, you know, try to hold them back at the beginning of the climb, but then also that allows you to drift to the back of the pack as you're going up the climb and you're still attached. So a little extra effort before the climb can keep you attached over the top as opposed to coming into it at the back of the pack is five feet becomes 15, becomes 20 feet, and then and then you're gone at that point. I think that was exactly what, what Hushang was uh, bringing up and I'll, I'll throw this back to you, Hushang, but absolutely. I mean, I can tell you from my own experience as a racer, the only times I was ever at the back of the pack on a climb 
was when I was feeling really good yeah. and had confidence that nobody's dropping me. Yep. Actually, on the days where I wasn't feeling good and was worried about my racing, I would be literally on the front. Because sometimes if you can take that climb hard enough, guys will let you set the pace. And if I'm feeling bad, I'd rather be the one setting the pace than trying to, to hang on to somebody else's wheel. So, yes, if, if you're worried about those climbs, you, you, know, you don't want to burn a bunch of matches getting to the climb. So there's an art form to getting on the front right at the right moment. But you should be hitting that, that climb right near the front of the, of the field so you can slip back. Hushang, what's your thoughts on this? I agree. I'm going to give you, tell you a little story here. I had a junior athlete. She is doing well right now. And she, the race was in Penticton. And you saw the race front of the school. You ride about 400 meters. You made a right turn at 6% climb. And you do this climb changes to 10, 11% and goes about two and a half kilometers before flat descent and you make the loop again. She was super worried that how can happen? She's going to get dropped in the beginning. I said, what are you going to do? Full warm-up, TT warm-up. I say, as soon as I said, ready to go, you're going to go as hard as you can. Separate yourself. They may catch you by end of the climb. But what happened was she did that. They did not catch her by end of the climb. And she got caught with two other people in second lap of three or four laps race. And she ought to spin both of them on the finish. She won the race that she thought she was not going to be able to finish. Wow. And on this story, you remember Erin Carter. I'm going to mention her name here. Yes. We went to Pan Am to, in Colombia. And those years, Pan Am Championship, is, uh, it was track and road race. Track four or five days before and then road race end of the week. She was completely pursued her. She won the pursuit, she won the point race, medal on pretty much every race she did. And night before the race, road race, she was in the road race. So road race course profile, 10 kilometer profile with about two kilometer climb, pretty much eight kilometer slow descent, you come back, pretty much Colombian setup. And she was worried if she get dropped, it's safe enough those years, this is a long time ago, we are talking about, is safe enough on her own. And then we talk about it. And uh, long story short, we are on the feed zone. I heard one Canadian is in the front. And we said to win one, two, three for that race because we have Sandy Espeset, you remember yep. those years. She's one of the big world-class climbers. And uh, so I didn't know who is it because we could not follow it. So I saw Erin in the front, and long story, Erin Tracky won the, one of the most difficult road race, 11 laps of 11 or 12 kilometer loop with two and a half kilometer, 10% average climb, won it just because that's the way she did it. She attacked on the descent, opened up the gap, and the teammates hold the gap. And we finished one, two, and fourth. Wow. On that race, at that year. So again, this brings the idea behind it is really how you're going to, when you're racing, you have to use your strength. What is your capability? What you can do that to get best outcome of the race? 
I think you bring up a really good point. Uh, I liked hearing that she broke away on the descent. Uh, people focus too much on the climbs and races. They don't think about any of the other parts on the course. I've seen this with a lot of athletes. They just know there's a climb coming up and feeling like, well, the whole race is going to happen on that climb. You don't necessarily have to abide by that. You can make the race happen at other points. As you said, that might take advantage of your strengths more. Absolutely. All right. So I think we have one more question, Rob. We do. It's from Cynthia Green, and she wants to know about doing a hard effort at the start of your famous, world-famous 5x5s. And let me just say, I know I'm getting the reputation for these 5x5s, but Hushang, I completely stole these from you. The, the first year I worked with you, you gave me these. I have been doing them every winter since. That's a work, but also I'm, still I'm doing it. And just you add so much to the mix in terms of outcome of it and variation of it and analyzing it. And, you know, in process is uh, I learned really more than what it was in beginning. Well, perfect. So here we go. This is Cynthia's question, and it sounds like you're both uh, well prepared to answer it. I've heard you talk about five by five minute intervals with a one minute recovery as a good threshold workout. You mentioned the importance of keeping the power steady and consistent throughout all of the repetitions. Example given, start at 230 watts and keep them all at 230 watts. However, you also mentioned that that means you often won't hit your threshold heart rate until after the second or third interval. Since you always say the goal is to train a particular energy system and heart rate is a measure of what's going on in your body, wouldn't it be better to get your heart rate up at threshold right away? I've done this by riding the first 30 seconds of each interval harder, about 100 and 20 to 140% of threshold power, and then dropping down to a steady FTP power for the remaining four and a half minutes of each repetition. Do you think that's a better way to do the five by fives? Hushang, you want to take this one first? Because I think we might have slightly different answers. Sure. I would say answer is yes. I believe sooner you get to the target heart rate, it will be more benefit from the workout. And uh, however, I feel getting into that uh, heart rate should be a little bit slowly than in just big jump. Again, depending on really what is the outcome, what she's trying to develop exactly from that work, right? Is like a over and under, this is not going to be over and under intervals, but it's just looking at the heart rate response, I would suggest take about two minutes to get push maybe 10, 15 watts more to get the target heart rate and then lower the power and make sure you're maintaining the same heart rate and adjusting your power towards it. Again, I feel this will help. Again, not sure really what is the end target or what is the goal from overall this intervals for her. So I think she mentioned that, um, well, she's using what we've said in the show, which is a, this is a good threshold workout. So I think she's focusing on raising that threshold power would be my guess. It's still, yes, if that is idea, I still, I suggest to do the same thing, which I'm doing the same thing. I have athletes, when I see they're doing five minutes and first of that three minutes of that five minutes, they are in no man's land. That's a, is a little bit waste of time until to get on farther than the training when the fatigue kicks in and the heart rate goes up much faster, I suggest definitely moving about 10% above the power and when reach the target heart rate and lower the power. 
So Hushang, it definitely sounds like you're supportive of her technique of increasing the power earlier in the threshold interval and then backing off a little bit. But I think that I just heard you suggest maybe 110% is how much you want to increase it to and then back off from there, as opposed to the 120 and 140% of threshold power that Cynthia is doing currently. I think it's too high. Again, depending on, sometimes you can simulate if she's track cyclist and she's going to do some track work, maybe going shorter period and higher power is more suitable than doing less extra power output for longer duration to get the right response. Again, those are the variation can be adjusted based on athletes' needs. So when you first gave me these intervals, you had me do them steady. You didn't have me go a little harder at the start. And I did notice that you started to do that with athletes a few years later. And I've always struggled with that. I've been kind of the steady guy telling all my athletes to just set it at the wattage and just let the heart rate come up. But interestingly, to the point that you're bringing up, it seems a lot of the recent research on interval work has really spent or focused on this, the importance of spending time near VO2 max. So 90% or higher of your VO2 max. And there still isn't a good study yet saying, is that truly beneficial? But the kind of researchers have landed on that and looked at a lot of interval work in terms of how much time are you spending close to VO2 max. And, and I have seen in some of that research exactly what you're saying, that doing that a little bit harder at the beginning gets the heart rate up. Heart rate and, and oxygen consumption tend to move with one another. And you end up spending more of the workout within that 90% or higher of VO2 max, and it seems to be more beneficial. So... I admit I'm, I'm struggling a little bit, but glad to hear that you are doing this because I've always trusted you with these intervals. So it, it might be time for me to, to make a switch. Rob, what do you think? Yeah, I think a, a different point for consideration, Trevor, is looking at this from a different angle, and that's the lactate response. I think that we all know heart rate is sort of that downstream response of workload. It's going to lag behind the work that you're doing a little bit. If you're looking to achieve a certain workload, you just have to understand the, the heart rate will get there eventually. How I look at this, though, is I love over-unders. I love to work a little bit harder. I love to build some lactate in the system. And then I love to pull back below threshold, maybe uh, 90, 92% of threshold, because that's where our body is doing a great job of utilizing and removing that lactate. And so I, I love to put in a little bit of a challenge. I love to pour lactate in the system. And then I love to let it work on pulling that lactate back out of the system and recycling it. So I can almost look at this as kind of a quasi over under situation. You're starting the interval with a little bit higher lactate. And then you're coming back in, uh, maybe reusing some of that a little bit more of a steady lactate uh, toward the end of it. So for me, I can definitely see that. On the other side of it, though, I will say, you know, for someone who is looking to just maintain a steady power, this is a, a difficult situation for using heart rate again because of that lag. So I think, as Hu Shang said, it just depends on the goals, right? I very strongly believe nothing is right or wrong. It's just whether or not it's matched up with what you're trying to achieve. And Hu Shang, I like that you brought up the fact that it, this is a small percentage above your your target. This isn't go as hard as you can for two minutes and then try to drop down the threshold and hold it. It's just that slightly harder. Yes. You know, also I've done with some of the athletes over and under. With, uh, over is pretty much we are going about uh, 40% over their max power and then dropping another 40% up below. 
basic. Again, those are, I feel they're going to serve the purpose, but again, can be adjusted based on what is athletes need really, what type athlete rider they are and what operation they're going to do. No, that's a good point. Well, Hushang, I just have to say, it was a real pleasure getting on the show. This is something I've wanted to do for a while. This kind of brings back memories because uh, when I was at the center, I used to convince you to go out and hit a coffee shop with me. You'd tell me you'd had about 30 minutes and I would keep you there for an hour and a half hitting you with questions. And I still have all my notes from the, all the, the, the great answers that you gave me. So I, I really appreciate your sharing with all of us some of your uh, thoughts and wisdoms on these questions. Thank you, Trevor. It was a pleasure to be here. And uh, as you said, every time we talk to you, it just brings those memories back. No, pleasure having you on the show. Yeah, Hushang, I'm, I'm so glad to have met you. Maybe one day it won't be virtual, but I think that you shared so many insights uh, that really got my mind thinking today. So, you know, thank you for being a part of Trevor's uh, upbringing and training and, and for all of our listeners too. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you, Rob. It was nice meeting you as well. That was another episode of Fast Talk. Subscribe to Fast Talk wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcast. Be sure to leave us a rating and a review. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. As always, we love your feedback. Join the conversation at forums.fasttalklabs.com to discuss each and every episode. Become a member of Fast Talk Laboratories at fasttalklabs.com slash join and become a part of our education and coaching community. For Hushang Amiri and Trevor Connor, I'm Rob Pickles. Thanks for listening.